Hello, folks. This is your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Before we jump into this week's episode, I have a special announcement. August 18th through the 20th, I've been invited to host a Triad Mental Health Summit. This virtual online conference showcases innovative trends and thought leaders in the mental health and behavioral health industry. Such speakers as Saj Razavi from the Psychedelic Somatic Institute, Kathleen Stengel from NeuroAbilities, Aaron Williams from the National Council, including live interviews I'll be conducting featuring Todd and Vanessa Steinberg from Comoso Design, Ron Anderson from Project Reclaim, and Lori Ignacio and Jody Gearson from the Hawaii Pro Bono Mental Health Center. This event is online and free to attend. So go to triadhq.com slash TMHS to learn more. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is John Cray. John is the Chief Technology Officer of Mental Health Technologies Incorporated, a platform for testing and screening patients for behavioral health disorders. John knows firsthand how much a difference early detection by primary care practitioners of mental health and substance use issues can really make, in addition to the ongoing objective measurement of affecting conditions. John is a speaker on the challenges of mental health care and how technology innovation is disrupting the space. John is helping medical directors, CEOs, presidents, and founders in the industry learn about the importance of addressing mental health issues early on. John holds a BS in physics from the University of Notre Dame and a master's in computer science from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. John, I want to welcome you to our show. Graham, thanks very much. I got to say, the way you introduced me sounds impressive, more impressive than I actually am. So I, well, I appreciate it if, if well, you'd always introduce me when I walk into a room. I'd be happy to do it. Forward. But okay. I'm just going off the research I did, and, and uh, there's some good things that are quite impressive here, and we're really happy to have you on the show and, and and the things you do that I think are making an impression in mental health. So thank you for joining us today. Hey, I want to jump in if you'd allow me. And you shared and been honest about that you know firsthand how early detection by primary care and the use of objective assessments can lead to early detection. Share with us, if you would, John, with our listeners, the firsthand experiences in life that you've had and how they've led you into speaking on primary care and mental health challenges. Yeah, I don't think I'm unique. I mean, I think we've all been touched by mental health conditions and situations in our lifetime. I personally was impacted by two suicides, one when I was at university and one when I was a young adult in my mm. close community of friends, which was tough to, to see. Later, as I got older, my mom was diagnosed with dementia. It, it was the kind of thing where earlier detection of her condition would have mm -hmm. made a huge difference in our ability to interact with her and maybe guide her towards some more helpful treatments and things like mm -hmm. that. We didn't really know about it. You know, it's a slow moving disease and we didn't really know about it for a while and we would have handled things very differently. So I think personally, I mean, I'm sure we've all been touched by mental right. health situations, but yeah. you know, that 
directly drew me to the space. I really like that. We've talked about, you know, different levels of intervention and and different levels of prevention. And you're talking about kind of primary prevention, there's secondary, there's tertiary. The primary prevention is how can we get out in front of this before things really begin to manifest? Secondary prevention is typically around, you know, once something happens, how are we going to respond? But you're saying if we can get these things addressed early, identified early, whether it's dementia or whether someone's got some suicidal ideation, how can we get in front of that early to not just identify, but then have some early intervention to be helpful? Yeah. You know, there are some new laws now and some new approaches in primary care practices that require them to ask certain brief questions on periodic checkups, like an annual checkup, that kind of thing. But, you know, oftentimes those are very brief and kind of rushed through them and they're not necessarily as pointed maybe as the diagnosis kinds of questions could be. So what we're trying to do is offer all kinds of practices, including primary care, but also including behavioral health methods for asking the right questions at the right, right times. Yeah. I think that's key, the right times. And we'll, we'll, we can get into that. I would love to do that. Let's flag that because I would love to get into the right questions at the right times and ways that that can be done very pragmatically, very, very much a part of the relationship that primary care practitioners get to have with the people that they see. And that's one of the most trusted relationships that a lot of times people have in their lives, being able to go to their doc and share some things that they may not share with anybody else. So let's flag that. We'll come back to that in our time today for sure. As as you're talking about kind of coming into this, I'm going to talk about what MHT is and what it does, but talk first, if you would, John, what are some of the current challenges around this mental health space that you're seeing from your experience? Well, I think Again, we've talked about early detection. I think that is a real challenge, especially with mental health. Mental health itself, unlike other kinds of physical ailments, we can measure blood pressure pretty easily. You know, we can we can measure blood sugar levels pretty easily now. We can measure it on a continuous basis, even using home equipment and all of that. But but mental health has always been a little tougher, a yeah. bit of a black art, if you will to use, you know, any kind of real diagnostic information. You know, it's it's more subjective and less objective. So what is what has happened over the years is there have been some standardized tests that have been created. Uh, and tests for depression, the PHQ9 is the classic standardized test for depression. The GAD7 is the standardized test for anxiety. But again, how those t- how and when those tests are applied and what you do with the information once you get it back is what is maybe not as systematic as it could be. So that's a real challenge. And then what happens when you get information that indicates that someone is depressed? I think we're finding in many cases, primary care practices really don't know what to do with that information. They may not have psychologists on staff, therapists on staff who can help patients. They may not have treatment options for those patients. What do they do when they find a patient that's in that situation? So that's very tricky. So yeah. we have a, what we hope is a very good solution to that. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that in a moment. I'm thinking about a guy that I just referred to, a colleague of mine who's a pain doc. And this guy has legitimate pain, but there's also other issues in his life. And you can treat the pain, but the mental health disorders 
are still going to be there. You might be in less pain, but if those aren't addressed, he just happens to have a psychologist on his staff in his office that I think I think in kind of a multidisciplinary team way, they get to work collaboratively kind of in a more holistic manner with what you're saying doesn't always happen. So that was a unique thing for me to experience him doing, which I really appreciated as a, as a physician. You talk about, you see innovative technology disrupting the industry. How is that, John? Well, first of all, how do you apply this kind of testing? So that it's it's actually a lot trickier. When I first got associated with mental health technologies and understood what it meant, the first inclination to think, oh, you just want to automate the testing process. That sounds pretty simple. But actually, how you do that is is very complex because how do you reach out to patients in a way where you're going to encourage them to answer the questions? And to answer them honestly, mm-hmm. give you an example. One, one of the things we found is that when you're sitting in a doctor's office and the nurse or nurse practitioner or PA runs you through those questions quickly, you're actually less likely to answer them honestly than if on behalf of the clinic or practice, you get sent the questions in advance, you have time to think about them and mm. answer them. So one of the early things we did was making sure that we could distribute the test to patients through their choice of device. Maybe it's a device you hand to the patient when they walk right. into the clinic, an iPad. Maybe it's a text message on their mobile phone, the same kind of protocol they use for confirming their appointment. Just now, they're also answering questions about a test, you know, or maybe it's an email. Whatever the patient's preferred communication mechanism is, get it out to them and get it out to them with time for nice. them to answer the questions and answer them honestly. Really good. I like that. I think, so you're saying not only does that allow the person to have some time to really contemplate some good answers to this, to really think and kind of mind down a wee bit to right. answer those things, you know, validly, but then it gives the docs or the nurses following up, maybe something to then say, Hey, can we talk about this a little bit more? I also want to flag coming back to the importance around taking that information and beginning to understand it. Just because someone checks a box doesn't mean you know if they're really depressed or not, or what the depression looks like. So, John, as we're talking about the needs here that you're identifying and some ways to really do this innovatively using technology, you, again, you're the chief technology officer at MHT Mental Health Technologies. Explain for us what MHT is, how it serves, and share with us some of the ways you're using MHT to pioneer these innovative primary care and symptom detection opportunities. So, Mental Health Technologies is a company that has a platform that allows us to do automated testing of patients for a variety of different kinds of conditions. Might be depression, anxiety, ADHD, drug and alcohol dependency, pain levels, as you mentioned, childhood trauma, many others. And we do that usually through a series of standardized tests that we automate on our platform and offer in a way that we discussed, which is getting it out to the patient in their choice of of communication mechanisms with enough time for them to answer the questions honestly, gather the information, and put it in front of the provider when that provider is meeting with the patient. That's great. We, We can also do things like alerting. So let's say the patient indicates that they're suicidal. The PHQ-9, the PHQ-8 includes depression tests without the suicide question. The PHQ-9 includes that suicide question at the end. So if they say that they're suicidal, maybe this particular practice wants to make sure that their provider is alerted in advance 
so that they can prepare for that visit or reach out to the patient proactively. And we can also redirect the patient right after the test. So when they, they finish that, those set of questions, we can send them to a website that is most useful for them. So for example, if they say they're suicidal, we can send them to the 988 hotline website to make sure that they're getting the help they need. Or in the case of, say, a primary care practice, we can offer the patient, if they're above a certain level of depression, the ability to get help from a behavioral health specialist. And if they say yes, we can automate that referral process, send a message to a practitioner who can reach out to the patient or send the patient to a website where they can sign up to be helped by somebody in behavioral health. So there's a lot of options here for how we get the patient to the help they need and get the provider the information they need to best treat the patient. Man, that's fantastic, John. So not just early detection and even some early intervention opportunities for them to find out more before they even come into the doctor's office. That's outstanding. But also, it sounds like you're setting up that upcoming appointment to be far more successful for the dog, who I understand genuinely care about their patient's, you know, well-being, not just physically, but also emotionally. And I've spoken with a lot of physicians who struggled to kind of go down that mental health path in a way that really kind of met the patient's needs. Not that they don't care, they sometimes don't know how to do it, but you're setting up a greater degree of success, both for the practitioner and the patient to kind of delve into and look at these issues if they are there. I really like that opportunity. We are, Graham. And, and the other thing is we're finding that a lot of these conditions are, are comorbid, right? So often with high anxiety comes depression, you know, often yeah. with childhood trauma comes depression or suicidality. So there's, there's an association between conditions that is fairly common and that when you do testing and you look at the results in combination, you start to see those patterns. And that really helps the provider provide good care. Do you in, in any way kind of prompt the provider or provide them with any way to navigate a discussion, you know, with their patient to make it a productive kind of informative one? We can provide them with detailed results. We don't guide their patter or okay. their, their actual dialogue with the patient. There's kind of a line that mental health technologies doesn't cross, and that is yeah. telling the providers how to provide. We don't really cross that line. But we try to give them all the information they need to be informed when they do provide their services. We don't, for example, recommend a particular treatment. But if the clinic or practice tells us that they want to offer, say, their more severely depressed patients the option for you know, new, a new technology like transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, which is a technology has been growing in usage significantly over the last several years. If they want to, at a certain level of depression or a certain kind of depression, offer that option to the patient, we can help them offer that option you know, really through our good. redirection to a site that does that. So yes, exactly. Yeah, that makes great sense to me. You know, you talk about, you really believe that the medical services like this can enhance the quality of care, can't it? And by implementing this technology from MHT, there's going to be some real benefits for any for a provider who gets to be equipped with a deeper understanding of the person they're seeing, treatment options, et cetera, like you're explaining. And for the on the patient side, a practitioner now that has information about them that can come in more informed, more curious, more interested, more supportive, this can really enhance the overall quality of care, can't it? It can. And of course, we've talked a lot about primary care and identifying those patients who might need 
assistance from behavioral health practitioners. But in behavioral health, this also applies very mm. well because there, of course, there is some kind of treatment going on. So yeah. whether it's just you know periodic visits or whether it involves the use of medication or the use of TMS or really any tool that are being used by the providers, they can then measure the success of those treatments over time. Yeah. So this regular measurement is something you know that, again, has not been objective really to date. And this provides a more objective approach to doing that. So that kind of measurement is great. And then they can adjust on the fly using that information. You allow them kind of a baseline when they first come in to, let's say when they first come in and they, they're, they're, they're meeting with their practitioner, they filled out these forms and they've got a baseline now to say, hey, what kind of treatments might be appropriate for you? What can we offer you? In addition to the medical side, if it's a medical practitioner, but from the psychological mental health side, we can really, you know, adjunctively support you in this way. And we can measure it over time. That gives what I really, really like about that too is sometimes people will come back into a practitioner and they might have been treated for depression. And the pr practitioner might say, and I spoke with practitioners about this, how are you doing? Your feeling is sad. And most people will underrate that. Most people aren't really great historians because they don't really know, do I feel sad? Well, no, I feel kind of, I feel kind of okay, but they're not sleeping. Their eating right. has gone down. They're kind of isolating a little bit more than usual. They're feeling a little kind of a little guilty about things or kind of hopeless. And so you don't oftentimes think that that's some of the signs and symptoms of depression, let's say, or anxious. You know, maybe I'm kind of avoiding something, feeling a little restless. And you might say, are you feeling a little anxious? No, I think I'm okay. But when you ask these questions on a follow-up you know, survey, like you're talking about giving people, it allows people to not just have a baseline, but it allows them to, the practitioners to really measure the success over time and to track that with a person and to say, hey, you're saying you're not sad, but you're still not sleeping very well. Let's talk about that. What's going on there? It allows for a more focused discussion. Exactly right. That's exactly right. And as we talked yeah. about, you know, that when you're sitting in the doctor's office and the provider asks you, are you anxious? Sure, I'm anxious. I'm sitting in a doctor's office, right? <laughs> but if but if you answer the questions, you know, before the visit, maybe yeah. when you're still in the comfort of your own home, right. you know, sitting at your desk, sitting on your couch, you're going to be maybe more honest in assessing your own situation. And that yeah. is kind of fundamental to this. So- yeah, and when you're when you're talking about being honest in your evaluation of yourself and your assessment of yourself, I I think what I really want to highlight here that you're doing that I really appreciate is that most people don't know how to really actually think about am I depressed or am I anxious? You know, hey, you might come in and say, hey, you feeling kind of depressed, and most people, particularly guys, will underrate that. But again, if you ask some of the signs and symptoms of that, that they don't necessarily associate with depression. How are you sleeping? Are you, are you, you know, feeling down more days than not? What's your appetite like? How's your social engagement with folks? Are you feeling less tolerant and patient? Are you feeling more irritable? Yep. What does irritability have to do with, well, it has something to do with depression because you're, you're, you're struggling. And so the ways that you're making patients more informed allows them to see that, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's something here that I didn't catch. Much right. like when someone has a dementia, an early dementia, there are some things, some soft signs that we may not see. Because we think when someone in dementia, they're going to be in this in this level, you know, of dementia. But we don't notice the earlier signs. Same thing with depression. Same thing with anxiety. So I love what you're doing around this, as well as the other disorders that you're measuring for. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too. When when we first started out, we created a platform that 
allowed the provider or the admin staff in a clinic to, to log in and just start executing these tests, right? And then the pandemic happened. Once the pandemic hit and the admin people started looking at other options besides going into the clinic every day, you know, the, there, there was a decline in the number of people available to these practices. So it, it, it struck us pretty early that yeah. we had to automate everything as much as possible. Because mm. if you're relying on a human being to be part of the data gathering process, you're putting a blocker in that process. So we immediately created an approach where we can use the clinic's existing EHR, their electronic health mm. records system. We can get appointment and patient information from that automatically, use that to trigger our assessments, send them out automatically, gather the results from the patients, then provide those back into the EHR so that to the clinic, there's literally no human involvement at all. And the other thing we, we found is once we started automating, we could get smart about it. So mm -hmm. this is where we actually have a tool built into our application that we call Smart Test, which allows us to figure out how to test the patient based on the patient's age, based on demographics, race, ethnicity, gender, whatever you'd like, based on past testing, how long ago was the patient tested? What was their score? When they were tested, what did they say to the suicidal question? How did they measure themselves before? Because again, a more severe patient would probably be tested more often. Mm -hmm. So that regularity of testing then becomes part of the same process. Right. Whereas a less depressed patient, you may need to only measure them once every three months or six months. So yeah, it kind of depends on, again, very configurable based on the practice but it kind of depends on how you'd like to set that up. Very automated, though, is the key. I'm smiling as you're talking. Uh, you've, you've been so creative with this. You've been having some fun, haven't you? We have, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And, and, the, and I'll tell you the other piece that we're having a lot of fun with, although it's a fun that we would sort of temper with. There's some sobering statistics here. Always. But when, when we gather a bunch of information across a lot of patients, a large patient population, we can start to look at patterns in the data. Mm -hmm. And just last month, we took a look at some of the data we'd gathered. And just to give you an example, in adolescence, so patients we've measured between the ages of 11 and 17, we actually found close to 20% were severely depressed, yeah. over 20%, indicated suicidal thoughts. Yeah. And within that suicidal thoughts, about seven and a half percent said they think about suicide every other day, at least every other day. Yeah. And that is a sobering statistic yeah. and one that we're finding the practices want to know about. So they want to be able to benchmark their own situation against what we're seeing more widely in the entire industry. And that yeah. these kinds of metrics are very useful. I could see some real utility and being able to have those stats and using those kind of at a community and national level as well. I mean, there's some really very concerning mental health issues coming up and stats like this really help validate that this is a real area of need and one that I don't think people, you know, we can throw stats around all the time, but we, when we look at the implications of all of this, it is very sobering. That's a really good word. It's, a, it's scary and sobering at the same time. When, when, when you think about this, 
I, I, ideally, where would you see and want or where do you anticipate the future of this kind of technology going? And, and what are some things you may be hoping to address? Well, since we were just talking about data and analytics, let's start with that. Yeah. I think because we're gathering data across all these different kinds of statistical measures, we can slice and dice the data in a lot of different ways that I think over time will be very interesting to various communities. So there's obviously the mental health community itself and the practices themselves will be able to benchmark their own situation. But if you think about it, there's also social communities, you know, a town, a, a community that may want to understand the mental health conditions within their population. Insurers may want to understand the conditions and how those conditions are changing for patients being treated right. that, are, that they're covering with their insurance options. You know, having good data like this helps them see those results over time. And we can slice and dice the data. You can look at males in their early 20s, female adolescents with a particular race or ethnicity, adults with childhood trauma being measured for depression. Any one of these different ways really of slicing and dicing the data is available, and we've barely scratched the surface yeah. on how to use this data. And then, again, talking about the data, we believe there's other measurable factors that can be brought in. We could start gathering information from social networks. You know, how are patients communicating via social networks, and how would you associate that with what you're seeing through these tests and in the office? And even data from tools like smartwatches can start to indicate patterns, biological patterns that may correspond to mental health conditions and patterns as well. So the way we collect data and the way we use that data is going to change radically over the next few years. Boy, that's that's really exciting, John. I'm, I'm also thinking too, you can, you know, people are following up with treatment opportunities, you get an opportunity as well to say, what types of treatments, what types of programs are now becoming best practiced treatments and programs to help people? Because you've got the follow-up data. They're going to be following up and doing additional testing. And we can say, hey, maybe once upon a time, this did work, or we thought this program might work, but we're seeing that it's not. Or we're seeing that, man, this one is really helpful very efficacious in treating what we're what we're measuring here because we're looking at follow-up measures and persons getting better, getting healthier, and healing. So there's some really awesome applications here. What kind of practitioners are are seeking out your services, John, through mental health technologies? So in the space, we're we're focusing quite a bit on primary care and behavioral health together. And it's interesting because we're developing a bit of a community of primary care practices with maybe a behavioral health hub. Because we have this ability to refer patients who need help, we can find in a particular geography a behavioral health hub and then find all the primary care practices in the area who nice. may not have, as we spoke about earlier, the ability to treat patients for these conditions themselves, yeah. need somebody to refer to. We can create this kind of hub and spoke model where primary care can can refer to a single behavioral health practice. And we're starting to build those kinds of geographies and that kind of representation across the country. So that's that's exciting because we're we're starting to see, you know, in cities and in communities this this network building. So that's that's really cool. Outstanding. In terms of our time, we're kind of rounding the corner here. I'd like to 
have you think about and maybe share with us if there's a hallmark story that comes to mind that illustrates how your program has so benefited, let's say someone's practice, someone's life. Give us a story. So most of the time we're separated from the results for individual patients, right? The the HIPAA rules and all that. We we encrypt all the patient identifying information in our database, even though we're kind of an extension of clinics in the case of managing a system on their behalf, we don't really get involved in looking at individual patients and their conditions. But we do hear a lot of anecdotes, and we hear providers thanking us for identifying early conditions they may not have noticed, like suicidality. So we get quite a lot of that. We also, because now we're involved in referring patients and even in behavioral health to referring for more advanced treatment, We're getting a lot of success stories for patients that have maybe stagnated in their care. So they're they're, they're in this situation where they've maybe been seeing a therapist for many months, maybe even many years, and they're really not getting any better. And their test results are kind of flat, or in some cases, maybe even getting a little worse because they're frustrated over the lack of progress. But now, and we talk about the rise of new technologies in behavioral health, now there are these other options. And just a couple of weeks ago, we had a clinic tell us that in a period of a week, they found 12 patients who were perfectly qualified to do the TMS treatment, and they wow. did it through our testing. So Outstanding. We, right away, yeah. we got a set of patients who may not have even known to be exposed to this new kind of treatment are now seeking and getting that treatment. And that is working for them. Congratulations. That, that feels that great. Re- it's got to feel great. You know, I'm, I, I know that the last stat I looked at, about 68% of patients presenting to a primary care practitioner have a mental health disorder as part of their presentation unknowingly. And so when these things aren't assessed and we're treating the medical side of it and the, the mental health side of it is not being addressed, it's going to, it's going to at times maybe hamper care and, or improvement. It's not going to allow the patient to feel the the full benefit that they could feel if the mental health side is taken into consideration. Case in point right here, 12 patients in a week identified to be able to go through a procedure that's going to help them not just in the mental health area, but it's going to help them in the medical area as well because just the mind-body interaction. So that's a great, great story. I mean, isn't Um, that incredible? Isn't that incredible? There's there's 12 patients that just because... We measured them. They got asked this additional question, would you be interested in this advanced care? Said yeah. yes, got yeah. directed to the website, provider got alerted, and it happened. I mean, it it was, it's really quick. That's got to get you up in the morning right there. It really does. It's great. Yeah, it does. Well, hey, I would love, John, as we're kind of winding down for today, I'd, and as we close the show for today, I'd love our listeners to have a takeaway word from you, just about mental health, about these screenings, about... What would you like to leave them with from our time today? I think the key to what we believe in at Mental Health Technologies is early measurement, early identification of issues, and then making that identification actionable. So as soon as you identify a situation, even if it's you know on, on the boundary of potentially being something to be concerned about, making it so that the patient can get help as early in the process as possible, making it so that the people that care about that patient, their family, their providers 
can be notified or made aware of their situation, yeah. of course, at, at the patient's discretion, but also at the provider's discretion, getting the right people involved as early in the process as possible. That's what we believe in. And then don't stop there. Just keep measuring. Keep paying attention to yes. the objective measures as you go along to make sure the patient is reaping the benefits of the treatment, you know, and not just sitting idle or stagnant, you yeah. know, through, through treatment options. So and through your, yeah. And through your creativity, you've made that initial and ongoing measurement such a seamless, easy opportunity for practitioners and patients to be involved in. So that's, that's really great. Hey, I would love for our listeners to be able to follow up and learn more about you and mental health technologies. Share with our listeners how uh, they can follow up with you after the show today. You can go to mhtech.com, M-H-T-E-C-H.com. That's our website. We've got lots of information on there about our technology and our platform, but also about how it's being used by a variety of different practices and clinics. We've got a presence on LinkedIn. We commonly post on LinkedIn sort of up-to-date news and up-to-date information about behavioral health and how testing can really benefit the situation. So yeah, those are two good places to go to learn about us. Really good. Well, John, it's been great to have you on the show today. Well done and all the things you're doing. Thanks for your contribution to this mental health aspect of our lives, kind of individually and as communities, like you said, and nationally. It is such a critical area for people to being able to understand more intimately what's going on in their lives and for practitioners who are positioned to be able to be helpful, understand and refer appropriately to be equipped with the things you're providing. And so really nicely done. And again, thank you for your time on our show today. Thank you, Graham. Appreciate it. Thanks. Great to have you here. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining John and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash bht. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash bht, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on this show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.